0: Hey there conquerors and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. We've got a great episode lineup for you guys today uh, with a good friend of ours and another former OSU athlete. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Also want to give you guys a quick warning. this was recorded a while back and we didn't have the most up-to-date recording equipment at the time so there is a little bit of sound feedback and while the episode is a little quiet at times there's some great content and we think you'll really enjoy it so we wanted to make sure to release it and have you guys listen to everything that brandon has to say the last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at conquering columbus and that starts with awh AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out AWH.net which will be linked in the show notes and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you.
1: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org.
0: Our final shout out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling. And they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at ProcureClean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, Conquerors, let's get this episode rolling. You could drop me anywhere on the planet
1: and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be
2: average. This is Conquering Columbus.
0: Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. This is one of your co hosts, Mike. And today on the show, we got Brandon Wynn, and we're going to kick it over to Josh. For a quick intro on Brandon and all his accomplishments.
1: Hey guys, so Mike and I met Brandon through our time at Ohio State. Um, He's originally from Voorhees, New Jersey, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah. And he graduated from Ohio State in 2011 with a degree in finance, where he was a member of the varsity men's gymnastics team. Um, As an athlete at Ohio State, he accumulated a laundry list of accomplishments, some of which include 2008 recipient of the OSU Coaches Award, his first NCAA All-American honors in 2009, and the all-around uh, 2010 NCAA and Big Ten champion on rings and second All-American honors that year. 2011 NCAA still rings champion, two-time academic All-Big Ten, three-time OSU scholar athlete, two-time OSU co-captain, just to name a few. As an international competitor, he was the 2010 Winter Cup still rings champion, 2010 U.S. still rings and all-around champion, 2010 parallel bars bronze medalist, member of the 2010 World Championships team. 2011 U.S. Still Rings Champion, 2011 Pan Am Games Still Rings Champion and Team Bronze Medalist, 2012 Winter Cup Still Rings Champion and All Around and Parallel Bars Bronze Medalist, 2012 U.S. Still Rings Silver Medalist, 2013 U.S. Still Rings Champion, 2013 World Still Rings Bronze Medalist, 2014 Winter Cup Still Rings Champion, 2014 U.S. Still Rings Champion, 2014 Pan Am Championships Team Champion and Still Rings Silver Medalist. 2015 U.S. Still Rings silver medalist, 2015 World Championships team member, and then fifth place on still Rings and the 2015 World Championships.
0: I miss anything in there? Nope,
2: man. that I was it. You and got it all. It was impressive. And
0: uh, I think that might be the longest <laughs> intro we'll ever have on Cochran Columbus <laughs> there, guys. But uh, on top of all that, he's also a health and nutrition freak in nature. He was recently featured on uh, the cover of Muscle and Fitness Magazine with his column titled The Best Physique in the Olympics. So. Welcome to the show,
2: Brandon. Thanks. To have Thanks you. for having me. Yeah, how's everything yeah. Really
1: been
0: going for you lately? Training
2: and uh, uh, traveling? It, it's been good. Yeah, I've been traveling a ton. Um, this past year has been super crazy. I actually just got back from Olympic trials. Um, we went through a whole process, and I didn't qualify for the team, unfortunately. So, yeah, it, w- it was a hard, uh, a hard process for sure. We had um, two days of nationals, two weeks off, two days of Olympic trials, and after that, it's a straight selection. So basically, you perform. uh, The selection committee goes in the back, and they have a certain amount of time to kind of pick who should be on this team. You know, what team is going to be the most valuable for team medal, and then individual medal and accolades as well. So I wasn't selected to that team. Uh, We're so deep. You know, I talked to uh, one of the guys that was on the selection committee and in the room, and going through all the scenarios. And there was ten different Olympic teams. That constituted a team score within five tenths of a point. Ten different teams. So you could go ten different ways and you can get a a team total, you know, which is in the 200 something points within five tenths. So then, you know, it really comes down to who do they think has the best individual medal potential, which I have good individual medal potential. Um, I was a Still Rings World Bronze medalist in 2013, second ever for the United States in the history of our sport. And um, shown showed that in 2015 I could qualify for the finals again, and still rings has been like packed. So 2015 the alternates, the reserves, um, was the reigning Olympic champion, a former World champion, and the reigning European champion. Those are the three reserves for that final. So super stacked. It's been a a crazy ride, but I love the sport, and uh, you know I have uh, no problem with the outcome, and I'm happy I'm part of it.
1: Yeah, will you go on to compete, do you think, after
2: this? Are you going to continue? You know, I don't know. Um, This next World Championships is individual, so basically all I would have to do would be my best event rings, um, which is really pretty well-suited for me. You know, obviously making the Olympic team and things like that, the team aspect is really kind of how much value can I bring as a single athlete. Now, if I'm bringing a ton of value on one event... You know, that's not enough. I need to bring value on one plus several others, fit into a puzzle piece of the other athletes on the team to complement their weaknesses. So, this year I could compete at the individual world championships, um, and that always has the most competitors on the individual events. 2013, um, the individual was individual worlds as well when I won bronze, and I think there was like 240 something ring competitors from different countries all over the world. So. Um, I'll probably do this one last year and uh, kind of see where it takes me from there. I have other other interests for sure. So,
1: so then this kind of off the script what we have mm-hmm. where we want to start. But I think like so, looking at each sport, I think everybody takes the Olympics as like the most precedent. But mm-hmm. like in wrestling, the World Championships is almost as much of an accomplishment as the mm-hmm. Olympic Championship. It sounds like and you in gymnastics being an individual world champion mm-hmm. is almost would be harder than winning the olympics in a way because i mean you make on the olympic team based on how much you can contribute to the team is that exactly right? yeah if you win an individual world championship i mean you're a pretty bad dude
2: then. right so yeah basically that's you know that's the united States' focus is to try to win that team medal and every country does it differently you know another country could say we're just going to pick the five best individual medal potential athletes here and that could be their strategy so yeah, like you said, you know, at a world championships there's definitely a lot more competitors than there is at the Olympics, but you know, it's the Olympic games, you know, it's is the big thing everybody loves it. You know, corporate sponsors and different things like that all get involved for that. So that was a big one obviously. Um but you know, I'm a, you know, happy to be a three-time world team member and it's been really competitive at those competitions. So Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I never realized, you know, how competitive how different the competitions can be at the Olympics yeah. with the strategy, but Let's kick it back a little bit. Let's go mm-hmm. back to, uh, you know, your younger days and how you got involved originally with gymnastics.
2: Yeah, um, I think I started when I was 7 years old. I'm 27 now, so 20 years ago. Long time, but I was...
1: 14 of it in our intro. So. Yeah, yeah, I know,
2: exactly. But, uh, you know, along um, the lines of probably a lot of other people's stories. Super active kid, flipping all around, you know, tumbling on the, the carpet in the living room. I had a diving board in my backyard, so I was going crazy on that. Tried a bunch of different sports. I did soccer, you know, things like that. And then gymnastics just stuck. You know, it it demanded a lot of my time. I think by the time I was nine, I was training four days a week for three hours a day by the time I was nine. So I quickly had to make a decision. You know, it's not like I can do a bunch of different sports and train like that. So when I was 11, I think I gave up everything else and just stuck with gymnastics.
1: Is that kind of the normal vibe when you're that young? I mean,
2: is gymnastics that intense from the get? Yeah, it is. You know, I think a a really hard thing about our sport is time off in our sport doesn't leave you where you were when you took that time off. The amount of time you take off actually pushes you backwards. So if I was to take two weeks off of my sport, when I come back, it's going to take me two weeks to get back to where I was before I took the time off and then I need to improve from there so it's like every day you take off it almost hurts you so that's why you're training so frequently when you're young because you want to create that repetition so it's just kind of ingrained in your body you know Mm and
1: can you talk about kind of the role your parents played at that age were they there did they have gymnastics backgrounds or
2: no no um, neither of my parents did organize sports really you know my mom probably did gymnastics. I think she did gymnastics at, you know, kind of like a recreational level. Um my dad, you know, played football and things like that through school. But um you know, once they finished high school, they were done with sports. And they just supported me. You know, they supported me in anything I wanted to do really, whether it was gymnastics or you know, play the piano. It didn't matter. You know, they just wanted to support me. So they're a really great support system. Obviously, financially, you know, gymnastics is probably one of the most expensive sports you can do as a kid. We're traveling like every weekend. The gym fees, the uniforms, the grips, all the upkeep. So um, it wasn't an easy thing for sure. Um, and my mom and my dad were separated in my childhood, so that was a hard thing. But they supported me all the way.
1: What do
2: they do for a living? Um, they're actually my dad's retired now. Um, but he's in the car business for quite some time. Um, all kinds of different things, body shops, car dealerships, cars are his thing, so he did that. He's really an entrepreneur at heart. Um, he's done a lot of different things. I mean, he's been a landlord to several different real estate you know, developments and um, apartment complexes, different things like that. He's really been involved in everything, and my mom as well. She's also an entrepreneur. Um, they actually had... Um, a real estate firm when they were younger and when I was a little kid. And now my mom's a real estate agent out in Denver, so she's still doing that. Actually, my girlfriend is um, starting to get her license now and kind of go through the process. But my mom's still working. My dad's retired, but he's always working on something. You know, He's like building something new at the house. He's got like a pole barn with like old cars. He likes to rebuild. So both enjoying life.
0: So let's jump into a little bit about – because I'm sure some of our listeners – they watch the Olympics, they watch mm-hmm. gymnastics, and they see it, and they go, wow, that's really cool, but they may not really understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So can we get a little bit of a description of maybe each event in the Olympics? Yeah. And uh, kind of um, what the scoring is, that, maybe not the scoring, that might be a little too in-depth mm-hmm. for what we want, but just kind of how they work, and then specifically your specialty, the still rings. Yeah. What makes it unique and different? Well, the
1: focus on men's, too, because right. I understand men's and women's are going
2: to be different. Yeah, yeah, very different. Um, the men have six events, you know, floor pommels, rings, vault, parallel bars, and high bar. Um, and each event, you know, the, the constitution of the scoring, you know, on a basic level is pretty easy. You, you get 10 points for the execution of your skills, and then you do 10 skills, and those skills add up to a total amount, and that's called your start value. And then, as you go through those skills throughout the routine, every error you make drops your execution score. So, let's say you have, you know, one point in error, and your start value is sixteen, you get a fifteen as a score. Um, they did that instead of the ten o system because the ten o system it got so close. It's like there was nine nine, nine nine two five, nine nine five, nine nine seven five. It was like all the scores are so close. Now the scores are really wide and spread out, so it's a lot easier to see who's better, you know. Um, but yeah, um, floor. All these events have evolved so much over the years, but floor is is six tumbling passes usually. I mean, you only have 70 seconds to do it. So, you know, if you think about the endurance factor of what floor is, it's a ton of pressure and strength in your legs um, and your breathing. You know, I do a lot of heart rate monitor stuff and not a lot of gymnasts do that i like to wear a heart rate monitor to see how my body reacts when i'm doing gymnastics um and when i do a floor routine by the end of the floor routine my heart rate's at at about 176 and like that's you know i don't know you know how many of the listeners know or have done stuff but that's really really high you know and um it gets that high it probably takes 20 seconds to get up to that and i maintain that um for an additional 50 seconds so it's really really hard um and then pommel horse is really a balance event um, it's about rhythm and swing. I was never great at pommel horse because it's a big event with range of motion and I haven't had the flexibility. I'm a bit more um, muscle-bound by nature, so that's why I'm better at rings. So, you know, balance event, swing event, um, but artistically, it's it's a good-looking event for sure. And then on to the rings, is primarily a strength event. My best event, what makes me good at it is the fact that I'm strong. Um, at a young age, you know, I really noticed that There is a huge opportunity for me on rings. I thought the fact that it was primarily a strength event, I could use all the information out there in the world to implement cross-training techniques, weight training techniques, um, all these other things that people have been studying and doing for years... And then apply it to gymnastics. You know, to me that was a no-brainer. It's like well, all these other events are so foreign to the public. You know, so for me to get additional insight on how I could be better at that beyond what my coach is giving me would be probably hard. But if I follow the strength event, you know, I can do all these different uh, techniques nutritionally and all these other things. So I started getting really involved. Um, I became a certified nutritionist. I got really detailed with my diet, uh, manipulating different macro and micronutrients all to. To come up to a diet that I thought was going to fit me well. And then I implemented different training techniques that I've read about, learned about, etc. So um, I think really the fact that I became a student of rings and studying rings and how I could be better at rings is really what my success is. Um, And then the second part of what my success is, is I'll just work till I drop, like no matter what. that's, That's not hard for me. I could work all day long. Doesn't matter really you know a lot of people struggle with that part of it to me that's the easiest part because that's the part we can control you know effort you know we can all put in 100% effort so um, so that's rings vault is just a, a sprint down a runway usually 80 feet long um, and then you jump right before you hit the springboard so you can land on that springboard with two feet you jump about eight feet in length to create a ton of forward momentum you hit that springboard off of your feet then you hit the vault with your hands and as much power as you can apply to that process you can do several flips and twists and then you try to land and not move your feet so um parallel bars so you know same kind of thing two bars a lot of balance intricate movements there um and a lot of variety swinging underneath the bars above the bars catching skills release release skills different things like that and then high bar obviously really exciting a ton of release moves everybody knows about that um and really just probably the most fun event big dismount, you know, and stick your landing, so.
1: Yeah, so you spoke a little bit there about how you really decided you want to become a student of the rings, mm-hmm. and at what age do you think that you realized, like, hey, this is where I'm going to separate myself, and did you really start to develop, um, like, realize what level potentially you could reach, and like, mm-hmm. Olympic dreams come in, college dreams come in, do you remember when that happened? Yeah,
2: I do. You know, I was always pretty strong when I was a kid. My whole family's strong. My dad's extremely strong. My grandpa was a Charles Atlas national champion bodybuilder. It's just like in my blood. Um so I've always been strong when I was a really really young guy and I was pretty good at rings when I was young but I couldn't control the power too much. But my coach always told me he's like, You're gonna be really strong one day. Um when I was fourteen I started like really becoming you know, separating myself from the other guys. So I was able to apply the strength to these different skills that I was doing. Um, and then I won my first junior national title. Hmm, I think when I was 16 or 17. So from that point forward, I just said, "Well, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can," you know. And then when I got to college, I got to Ohio State. And I was surrounded by super strong guys. You know, obviously an amazing program. Um, and those guys are now, you know, some of my best friends, which is great. But I really was influenced by them. You know, I, not only did I want to impress them, but I wanted to beat them as soon as I possibly could. You know, that was the goal. Um, and by my sophomore year, I had increased my start value tremendously, and I was doing i am um, a start value that was competitive with some of the highest start values in the world. Um, and then by my junior year, I made my first world championship team and tied for eighth at the world championships and got bumped out of the final. Um, so I knew I had a lot of potential there. I was number one in the United States, and then I kind of took it from there. In 2013, I, I won that bronze medal, which is really unique in our sport um and uh you know the influence of my coach who's still my coach Casimiro Suarez it was just a really cool emotional time you know because it was something we accomplished together and we identified we really wanted to do that and it was a year i could focus on just the rings and the parallel bars i actually got um i believe 6th place at that world championships on parallel bars as well so off the medal podium but um it was a good time and uh it has just kind of progressed as the years have gone on injuries have played a part and I'm always having to adjust. I'm training differently every day, but always using my head, you know.
1: When you said that you're training really hard after you won, what was it, the first Junior World title? Mm-hmm. What is, you know, I don't think a lot of listeners out there might understand what really hard is. And I think we know because we've seen you around yeah. Skiwood for 14 hours. A day. Yeah. I don't know if you even have an apartment. I think. Yeah, I, I
2: probably don't <laughs> need one, right? But um, I, what's really hard? I guess to look at it, you know, outside of the gym nutritionally, I'm counting every gram of fat, carbs, and protein that I'm eating every single day, and I have a log of that for the past two years every single day. Um, and I'm manipulating that macronutri- those macronutrients nutritionally to complement and fit my workload. So that's outside the gym, obviously recovery, um, and, and some supplementation with protein powders and things like that. But really the diet is, you know, real food is really what it comes down to. That's the basis. And supplements are exactly what they're called, supplements. You know, they can replace things here and there if you're missing. But um, So then getting into the gym, probably in my younger years when I was really going for it, um, you know, I would do two hours of strength training in the morning um, and I, I time my rest period. So usually I'm doing two hours of strength training with maybe a minute to a minute, 15 seconds rest between each set Um, so if I'm doing like a ring strength sequence, I could do 10 ring strength skills with a spot, um, and I would do 25 to 30 sets. And then I would go on to general conditioning, which was, um, a bit more complimentary stuff, you know, to build a bit more mass as I was trying to get stronger throughout that period, go home for two two and a half to three hours, have some meals, come back um, and then do four hours of skill-specific training. Um, it was weird. Actually, you know, the more tired I made myself in the morning, the more relaxed I could be at night and almost the better my performances were. So um, I would do that, and then sometimes I would do a third training session that day. could have involved a bit more um, cardiovascular work muscular endurance work things like that not a lot of like heavyweight a high load but really more Repetition so I mean on a hard day I could be training eight hours a day and putting absolutely every ounce of energy I have into each rep each set So I love it to be honest sounds crazy, but I think it's the best, you know way you can spend your time
0: Yeah And you mentioned earlier that you know with gymnastics It's a little different with recovery because if you take two weeks off mm-hmm. it's Two weeks back so how did you manage? To do all of this. And you mentioned you had scheduled recovery. Mm -hmm. How did you manage to do all this without hurting yourself?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's really hard, you know. And I think what it comes down to is I believe our brain always fails before our body. Like when we feel like we can't do one more rep, it's because our brain thinks we can't and it's not our muscle. Even when we f- you know we're watching our arm not be able to lift the weight, but I think that's the way that we're you know we're believing that we can't lift it. I think we can always dig deeper and get more. And with that kind of concentration comes a concentration on the form of the repetition and being in touch with your body. And I think when you're in touch with your body, And you're not rushing, you know, you're not focused on other things, you're not being distracted, and you're really in touch, you can make sure you're doing things correctly. So when you do things correctly, with the balance of stretching, which is a huge part of our sport, and proper nutrition, you got to have enough food to recover, your muscles need to regrow, you're breaking them down, they need to regrow, and if they don't, and you're not at a caloric surplus, you know, more calories than you burn every single day, there's no way you can build mass and strength, I mean, it's just a fact, you know, you can't build a house Without the supplies you could sit there and have a bunch of workers ready to build but if you don't have you know wood glue nails whatever it's going to take you can't build a house and you need the supplies in your life as well with the nutrition so i really paid attention to that and i think that plays a huge part because a lot of gymnasts you know training six hours a day that aren't paying attention to diet how would you not be deprived you'd have to be i mean you'd have to eat like you know an animal just You know, not really paying attention to the details to not be deprived. And if you want to go down that road, you got to be really detailed. So I think that's why I wasn't injured. Um, As I got older, I started to get into a period where I was getting a bit more injured. Um, And I think that was because, you know, the years and years of the workload, I started to get a bit comfortable. And everybody does that, right? You do something for so long and then you think you're kind of good at it. And then you kind of back off of paying attention to it like you did when you first learned it. And it's good because it's a wake-up call. Then you relearn, refocus, and move forward. So, you know, if I could all break it down to one thing that could contribute to that success, it's, you know, keep adjusting in real time and be honest with yourself about what's going on with me today and now and how do I need to move forward for tomorrow. And any Any facet of life, I think that's going to bring success.
1: So talk about that level of, insane training and, and focus on what you were doing and your goals in gymnastics and then juggling that when you got to Ohio State on the college scene so yeah. with your classes and academics and what your mindset was and how that kind of really was that a wake up call when you first got there and
2: oh yeah it was hard you know school you guys know it's like class is crazy and it, it takes over um, I really adapted the mindset at that point was identify a goal and do just enough to reach that goal you know it's like if we could you know, turn it into a quantitative measure. Um, if it takes, you know, 10 hours of studying a week to get an A, only study 10 hours. You know, don't just study 25 hours to make sure you get an A. Identify that's only going to take 10 hours and just study 10 hours, reach your goal, and then move on. And I think, you know, that kind of um, delegation of time and resources is really what it comes down to. And I think that goes back to, again, is, you know, identifying what it really takes. But when I got here, it was a lot of studying, um, but I really just said, "Hey, I know gymnastics is a priority," and I graduated with a three-two something, so it ended up pretty good. Um, but really, what I did was I made sure the classes that I knew I could get an A in, I got that A. You know, I, I didn't let those classes slip. And then classes that I knew that would require you know a huge amount of time to get that A, but it re- wouldn't require nearly as much time to get a B. I took a B in that class because I knew with an A, with the other classes, it all balancing out my GPA would still be good, and I'd be able to reach my overall goals with graduating with a good GPA. So I think it kind of comes down to that, right? Just figuring out, you know, this is all I need to do to reach this goal. Let's not overdo it kind of thing.
0: Right. That prioritization of your goals, I think, is very key to accomplishing the things you want to do in life because you kind of get lost, right, with all these things like, man, I want to be an astronaut, and I want to do this, and I want to yeah. go be the best sales guy at my team, and I want to start a podcast, and you got to really kind of plug and choose mm-hmm. which ones you're going to give your most time to, but yeah, um, you mentioned earlier jumping into college mm-hmm. that you got there and everyone was strong,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. and so
0: was that, how did that um, affect you at all, and did it make you want to work harder, did it, um, was it kind of like, man, I thought I was strong, and uh-huh. I show up, and now it's a humbling experience?
2: definitely humbling um i knew i I knew of these guys right because i looked up to them when i was a little kid so i knew they were going to be really strong and it kind of was always like in the back of my head that i wanted to be stronger than them even before i got here and i knew it was going to kind of be like when i got here it's like you know how it is instant competition even if nobody's saying it it's like everybody's looking at you you're looking at them it's like weird at first and it's like that kind of weird competition so i mean i just wanted to beat them I wanted to beat them with my my drive and my dedication. That's what I wanted to do. Um, And then I know I brought them up, you know, and they were beating me at times and we were going back and forth. I think that's what makes a good, you know, a good team. You know, a lot of people that don't have that team aspect in their life will never understand that probably. But um, the push and the drive that you get from your brothers is stronger than any other drive I've found in this world yet. So um, it was a great experience, you know. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything really.
1: Can you talk about that team aspect, how that was built and how that helped you reach your goals over the last, you know, five to six years?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, having the alumni come in, and I'm sure you guys have this experience, it almost, like, reminds you that there's a lot more to this than you, right? It's like when you're out there, you can really bring it back to you. Like, oh, I, I want to do this. I want to do that. But then you have the alumni out there. And they show how much they care about the program. And then you hear about how this program has influenced and changed people's lives and so on and so forth. And I know when I come in the wrestling gym, it's like you got you guys have guys in there that, you know, I don't know if they were part of the program or have kids that are part of the program, but they look like they just like being around that atmosphere. And the fact that you have successful wrestlers in there that are passionate about it, it gives those people excitement, you know. And when you think about it to that degree – um, that's kind of what made the whole thing easier for me um, and then that that team aspect you know it just feels so much better to win with your friends right like when you win you know by yourself you're so excited and you're like oh cool you like call some people on the phone but when you, when you win with your friends and you feel their energy and you see that look in their eye and it's like that's the only thing that matters at that moment it's so cool and when they're really your friends and brothers then it, it means even more so I, I loved it
0: and so you know you had a- a laundry list of accomplishments in college that we went over earlier. Are there any of those that you feel like, hey, I, I had to do some really hard things are you most mm-hmm. proud of? And then are there any things in college that you didn't achieve that mm-hmm. you regret or are disappointed in?
2: Yeah, um, it's a good question. I uh, My senior year, we had a dual meet against Penn State and I was on vault. I was like running down the vault runway. I messed up my steps, which is... You know, that might not make a lot of sense, but you know exactly how many steps you take before you hit that springboard, from what distance, and if you misstep with one step, it could shorten your distance. You might have to try to add a step before you hit the vault, but if you don't, you know, adjust in real time and make sure that's all on point, there's no way you're going to be able to do one of the most difficult vaults. So I misstepped, but I tried to do the vault anyways, and um, I landed kind of twisting into the ground, and I had what they call a high angle sprain, which I didn't think was a big deal. But I learned that a high ankle sprain, and so I sprained my ankle. It hurt above my knee, so that's how high my high ankle sprain was. It made it, yeah. Like that, honestly, it was like crazy. It made a cracking noise where, like, I landed, and I thought for sure my bone was like sticking out of my skin because I heard this like crack. And what the doctor said was the two bones in my leg it just cracked like you crack your knuckles because it just adjusted so quickly. So I was, I couldn't. I couldn't walk normally, probably for three months, and like every day, I was just kind of in the gym. I would take my shoes off, I'd take my socks off, I would stand on the soft floor and just try to, you know, gain that that walking back. Um, so the plan was that I was gonna be able to try to do one landing, so land a dismount by the NCAA's, which was my senior year. It was at home, so the plan was to try to be able to do one landing. You know, the doctor that I was working with didn't think that that would be possible, but he said if I kept working really hard, I'd probably be able to do it. Obviously, I wanted to do more than that, right? Everybody wants to do more. So I actually ended up not only being able to do landings on every single event, I was able to learn a new vault that didn't hurt my ankle as much. I was able to compete that vault in time and a floor routine on that hurt ankle, and I had the best competition of my life that night. So it was pretty cool, um, but... It just happened to be like everybody had the best competition of their life that night. So I ended up fifth place in the all around. And between fifth and first, I think was less than six tenths of a point. So, you know, winning the all around at NCAA is huge, like NCAA champion. So I really wanted that. I ended up fifth. But, I mean, that recovery process was the coolest part. So I'm happy about it.
1: Can you talk about what went into that mentally when you got injured and what it was like? trying to overcome that just from a mental aspect? Because, I mean, when you train that much, like I noticed from the wrestling aspect and then you get hurt for a couple months, it's almost like it's super hard to go through something. Yeah. It becomes like a depressing experience, and then especially with your senior year and those goals on top.
2: Yeah, it, it is really hard. Um, it uh, I mean, you know, I think what it really comes down to is I never lost faith that I knew I, knew I could do it. That's basically what I, what it was, and even though people thought that I couldn't, I was excited to show them that I absolutely could. And I could do it way faster and way better than they even thought. And that's kind of – that motivation was my new goal. It's like my new goal is going to be able to walk without a limp. You watch. You know what I mean? That was like the exciting part for me. And then once I was able to accomplish that, I kind of moved on. So – I think if you just kind of keep that drive and that motivation, you have to search for new goals. I think when we you, we get too distant on these huge goals and we don't focus on the steps in between, it's like it feels so distant that it almost feels impossible. But when you just break it down, work backwards, and just say, "Today I'm gonna walk a little better," you know, the next day I'm gonna do this a little better, and it makes it easier. So every day I tried to accomplish something different, and that helped. Yeah,
0: kind of taking it one step at a time. Yeah,
2: almost.
0: yeah, and so, you know. I want to jump into your international experience Mm -hmm. now a little bit. Um, I think, you know, what was... It's another jump, you know? It's another level. So what was the first thing you thought, you know, jumping into the international world versus the college world? What was the first differences you noticed in the challenges? Yeah, it was
2: so different. Um, You know, making the senior national team in our sports really big in 2009 was the first year that I made it, and I was in shock that I had made it. I was like,
1: oh, wow, like, I,
2: I finally did it. You know, I really wanted to do it, but it really happened... Just snuck onto the team. I think I was 16th in the all-around that year, Um, and that was just like the fire that I needed. Um, I I wasn't able to compete internationally at that point. I didn't make the world championship, and but then the next year in 2010, you know, all that fire and that motivation, excitement really pushed me. So I went from 16th, and then in 2010 I got third in the all-around, first on rings. Third on parallel bars and I think I was top six on four or five events that year so it really pushed me I made my first world championship team um, and when I got to the world championships I just remember thinking like this is a whole nother sport it really is it's, it's a whole nother way that you perceive what you're doing you know and I think the first time that I put on the uniform you know and I saw USA across the front it was really um it was humbling And that's when, you know, I talked about how you do things for the team, but that's when it changed everything because I knew from that point forward, the routines that I did and the results that we got as a team was going to be felt by and heard back in the United States all over our community, you know, and everybody was pulling for us. It's like people on Facebook were writing stuff like, good luck, good luck, you know, people that I hadn't met. But all that support really just changes the whole dynamic of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and then I carried that back into college And it went back and forth But that day really changed the sport for me
1: Can you talk about some of your coaches From collegiately and internationally That have been big influences on in your life I mean you talked about it a little bit in the beginning mm-hmm. Talk about you know how they've shaped who you are today and, and the impact
2: they've had on you Yeah, I had the same coach from when I was 7 years old To when I left for college when I was 18 um, His name is Tyrone Ellum uh, I grew up in New Jersey and he was there And He's just like, you know, from the second I met him, I knew he was a great guy. And we did a lot of work together. So like I said, I'm not really a flexible guy. So that has always been a problem in my gymnastics. And he would stay at the gym with me, you know, until 10 p.m. sometimes. We would do an hour and a half of extra stretching that night. He would come in in the mornings. We would travel to this place to train in this kind of gym that. He really helped me um not just in gymnastics, but really in life, you know. He a great mentor, a great guy, a great person to just know. Um A lot of what I am today and a lot of what I believe and and what I've come to learn today is all from the influence of him. Um, And then when I got here, I was in the hands of other amazing coaches. The head coach was Miles Avery. Um, Doug Stiebel was the other coach. And Dmitry Bilzerchev was the second assistant. He is um, arguably, but a lot of people say, the best gymnast ever to live. Um, He got in a car. He, He won his first world championships when he was... 16 years old, the youngest guy to ever do it. He got in a car accident after that World Championships. He broke his leg in 40 places, which is like a fact, literally 40 places. Went to the hospital. They were about to amputate his leg because it was like completely trash. His coach found out he got in the car accident, got to the hospital before they amputated, told them not to amputate, and they're like, fine. You know, they put it in this huge brace. It took him a couple months to just be able to go upside down without having the blood burst through whatever incisions or um, stitches that they had done it was like a crazy thing the very next world championships he won again so he won the world championships first time got in the car and broke it in 40 places rehabbed his leg and made it one year later got to the world championships and won again in all around so once i got here i was like all right i'm hanging out with that guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and when you ask him about it he's like the funniest guy he's like the calmest guy doesn't have a lot of expression he was like I did what I had to do. You know, like in his yeah. Russian accent, it was no big deal. And I was like, yeah. okay. So he was really a big influence on me at that time. He helped me like a lot, you know, as coming as a freshman. Um, and then Miles Avery was the head coach and he had coached Paul, Morgan Hom, Blaine. So he's been on the scene. He knows, you know, there's a whole different thing between becoming good at gymnastics and what does it take to get me on an Olympic team or world championship or national, te- national team. It's really a whole different dynamic. So... I had his influence, and then Doug Stiebel was kind of a wild man uh, that was here. Ohio State athlete, a senior national team member as well. So it was a good mix. That was great. They all left when I was a sophomore. No, when I was a junior. All three of them. Then when I was a senior, a new coach came in, Rustam Sherrypov. Great guy. He still coaches me today. He was just at the past competition with me. Um, He hired Casimiro Suarez as his assistant who's my current coach now who I went to 2013 world championships with so on and so forth Um, and you know there's really not there's really not any way to describe how great of a guy he is an amazing athlete obviously I think he holds the record for inventing the most skills in our sport I think right now that's still being done seven skills he invented that people are still doing today in the code of points Um, but an amazing person he took me in like I was his family you know he really did um, I've been to his house quite a bit. I know his wife and kids very well. Great people. Um, and we share, you know, a really personal relationship. And he's really helped me inside and outside the gym. And when you're on the competition floor and you feel like, you know, the world's going to end, it's the craziest time, you know, to look over and have somebody that's your family standing next to you, going through with you is, uh, you know, really the biggest support system you can have. So great experience. I'm lucky.
1: Yeah, it sounds like an amazing experience yeah. had with coaches. Do you pull anything in, in particular mentally from things that they've taught you, like philosophies or outlooks on life? Like I know, and I don't know if that question makes a lot of sense, but I think to relate it back to like when Mike and I look back on like Tom, for example, mm-hmm. who you're obviously familiar with, mm-hmm. there's certain things that he's said and he's taught us that have, have changed the way that we look at, at things. Have you had that experience with your
2: coaches? I have. So um, my, my thing as an athlete is... As I got older, you know, like I said, I continue to train really hard. It's hard for me to decide when it's too much at this point now because now I'm doing a lot. So, you know, philosophy-wise, he always reminded me that I'm a great competitor, which every time I get in a competition, I do feel like I compete, you know, above. And some people get to competitions, they compete a little bit below. Some are the same. I always compete a little bit above. And he always reminded me that if I had the faith in my ability to compete, it really didn't matter about how many repetitions I did before. So if I could minimize those repetitions and make sure I was 100% healthy for those competitions, it would get me the best results. So I really thought about that a lot. Um, And it's hard for me, you know, especially now. I was like, well, I want to do another one. I want to do another one. And he would just calmly say, you've definitely done enough. You know, do you feel like what you did today if you had to raise your hand tomorrow and compete, could you do it? I said, absolutely. And he said, go home. That's it. you know. So I think really what he's introduced in my life is that balance because you got to have it. And with passion um, and then success from that passion, sometimes comes obsession. And you got to really be able to monitor that. And he's been great with that for me. Do yeah. you think that you can
1: pick out why you were able to perform well in competitions? A lot of people, you know, they be great, practice for real mm-hmm. athletes, but when it comes to performance time; they're not able to reach their potential
2: level and above their potential. Yeah, you know what I really think it is, and um, I just actually had written this down in my phone because I just went to a competition. I like to write notes after because it's such an emotional experience that I feel more in that four days of competition than somebody you know, or I could feel in a week or a month, whatever it is. But I think what it is is you have to be able to monitor those variables. And when you can pay attention to the variables that are affecting you, you're in a different city, you're sleeping in a different bed, your food is different, the equipment's different, the atmosphere is different, you're surrounded by different people. When you can try to say, all right, I have to make that at least the same as it feels at home, then you can get comfortable. And when you get comfortable, you can feel what's going on. And I think that in competition, I can use my emotion to feel more of what's happening, and then be able to adjust better. It's funny, when I think about remembering doing a skill that maybe I've done 3,000 times, the times, maybe I practiced it 3,000 times and competed it only three, and those three times that I competed it are all that I remember because they moved me so much during that time. So I think if you can use all the chaos... And you can monitor those variables but use that chaos to go in the right direction and really dig deep to improve. That's kind of what I feel like I do. I kind of use everybody's energy, whether it's negative or positive, to make my experience better. So I think that makes a difference.
0: So what I'm curious about is you mentioned making making that food or making that hotel room seem more like home and what you're mm-hmm. used to. So are there any particular things you do?
2: Yeah, I, I bring a rice cooker with me internationally. I bring brown rice as a... A pretty consistent um, carbohydrate source for me. I eat it at home all the time. So I just make sure that I have food sources, you know, exactly the same. And then I pay attention to my schedule. You know, when I come home in between practices, I eat, but I definitely don't lay on the couch. Sometimes I go for a walk. Sometimes I sit outside. You know, sit in the sun if it's nice outside. Different things like that. And I make sure that I I try to keep that the same. Um, and then one of the biggest variables that um, I think is it's huge, and a lot of people could benefit from it is if you don't think about your sport all day when you're at home, don't think about your sport all day when you're at the competition. And you guys know, like, you could be there, and, like, before you get there, you're just picturing over and over in your head about how well you're going to do. But I don't do that at home, you know, so I'm not going to do it there. And I, I think what that does is it takes the edge off in a bad way because when you get there, it's not crisp to you anymore, It's, like, kind of died out to you because you've been thinking about it so many different, you know, so many times and in different scenarios. So I try to keep my mind at ease and and then keep all the other variables the same and just relax, have fun, you know.
1: So to kind of circle back to major accomplishments and setbacks, internationally, we talk collegiately. Do you have anything internationally that really sets out in terms of, like, you know, out of all the things I've accomplished, that was was the moment? And Mm -hmm. then in terms of setbacks, anything that really was just, like, man
2: thought I had that and it didn't work out yeah um, so 2013 I think winning that medal was was big you know like I said I did it with my coach so it was emotional he was there with me it was awesome huge accomplishment and then 2015 in the finals I had qualified in third place into the finals and in finals I did a much better routine. And I stuck to dismount. I think I was the only person to stick to dismount in the whole final, which which is big in a final because it's like the crowds all around. And I thought I had it, to be honest. I thought I had won it for sure. Um and I was really excited, I thought I won it, and I didn't. And I ended up fifth. So setback wise, that may have been, you know, one of the few times that I got a bit ahead of myself. You know, I was like, Oh, I think I got it, I think I got it and I almost you know, attached myself to that outcome and then when it wasn't that outcome, it was slightly disappointing for a period of time. I think there's a lot to be said about you know, going through these motions and having these goals but don't attach yourself to this specific outcome for a need for that to validate what you do every single day. You know, so you, know, you just kind of appreciate how the day goes and I should have appreciated that routine for what it was instead of saying, oh, I think that gets me the gold and it wasn't and then I was thrown off. So that was definitely the biggest setback.
0: It's incredible, you know, listening to high-level athletes talk and hearing the same thing come out of two different mouths in two different sports. But Mm -hmm. we talked to Travell and Kyle recently, Uh and they talked about a lot about appreciating the sport for what it is. And for me, one thing that I think about with gymnastics and wrestling, like wrestling, it's you versus another guy, and you know, you score based on hey, can I take the guy down? Can I? You know, there's not a lot of judgment calls Mm -hmm. from the rest part, although there can be. But with gymnastics, I think it's a lot more in the the judge's hands. Yeah. Right. So, how did you handle that? Not being, you know, it being in control to some extent, but in the end, not really being yeah. in control of the fate.
2: A lot of a lot of guys have a problem with that in our sport. You know, it's oh, it should have been this score, and it was this score, so that's not fair. Or if they would have just given me this, this would have happened, so that's not fair. But you know, I say the same thing. We signed up for this knowing that this was the game, right? So these are the rules of the game. And the rules of the game are there's subjectivity based on the judge's opinion of what you've done. And I'm willing to participate in the sport.
0: Hey, guys. Brendan had a really cool answer here. And he talked a little bit about how the sport of gymnastics is scored. And a lot of it is based on how the judges were made to feel based on your performance. And that was kind of the gist of Brandon's answer here. But we had some technical difficulties. And unfortunately, we're not able to recover Brandon's full answer. So we're going to kick back in here and pick up right where our audio comes back in.
2: Now, that opinion, yeah, can be viewed in many different ways. But that's kind of what plays into the elegance of gymnastics and why it's fun to watch and why it's, you know, one of the most popular sports in the Olympics is the performance really constitutes your success and That's what the person gains from watching it as a judge or a spectator.
1: Yeah, so talk about, you know, you've had amazing accomplishments up to this point. You've unfortunately just missed the team for Mm -hmm. Rio in 2016, but you said you have other goals and aspirations looking ahead. Um, Are those still in the sport of gymnastics, or where else are you looking for the future?
2: Yeah, um, you know, in the sport of gymnastics, for sure, there's some other things I'd love to accomplish. You know, coming out of not making this Olympic team, I definitely thought... Oh, I'll go home, have some downtime, you know, be upset. You know, a lot of people, there's a period of time where you're going to be upset, you know, that kind of thing. But I just kept feeling more and more motivated. And then I was thinking in my head, well, maybe, you know, that's that's not, I'm, I'm putting that on as some sort of defense. And eventually that'll change. But I really just feel more and more motivated to go out and capture the opportunities that are right in front of me. Because not being a part of that Olympic team just shows me how lucky I am to contend for such a prestigious thing. And then when I look at my life, I realize I have so many opportunities to be successful in things I consider prestigious and that can be fun and rewarding. So I'm super motivated. I want to uh, definitely attack... My professional life as an entrepreneur, Um, I have my master's in business, so it could be some sort of combination of um, fitness industry stuff combined with some finance stuff and, and really create a situation where I can dig in and find an equivalent of what it's like to be an Olympian or Olympic champion and attack it with that kind of motivation and force for success. I'm very excited to try to attack another aspect of my life with that kind of intensity and see what I learn about it. So I'm definitely ready for the professional world, um, and whether that comes next week or next year, um, it's going to come soon, so. Do you
1: have any ideas in mind in particular, or?
2: I have, I have a couple ideas, um, you know, I've been involved quite a bit, you know, I started my first LLC when I was 19 with one of my gymnastics buddies, and we started business together, and, um, we have a patent-pending fitness product, and we've been kind of all over the map with what we wanted to do with our lives, um. You know obviously when you're young it's all about making money and as you get older you slowly realize it's more about the passion and appreciating your day and when you can combine the two um you really uh you really have success i enjoy fitness wise helping people that want to reach their goals um, i do a quite a bit of online training now so i have different clients that contact me from all over the world that have different goals you know some of them want to lose weight some of them want to learn a uh, gymnastic skills some of them want to do general fitness and i work with them online um uh, we talk over email and Skype and different things like that, and I, I see that, you know, they're happy about it, and, and that's really great. So um, that's something that I love doing. I'd love to do it on a bigger scale. I'd love to open a gym um, and involve some of the gymnastics principles that I've learned and taught to others from over the years and uh, replicate that and see other people enjoy what I enjoy. Uh, I think that'd be a really great thing.
0: For our listeners out there, yeah, quick question. Um, not a lot of le- our listeners are probably not all high-level athletes mm-hmm. and elite um, in any sport, but they want to be elite in their lives and they want to be elite at their jobs. How can they apply what you learned mm-hmm. as an uh, elite athlete and elite Olympian? I mean, not, not an Olympian, mm-hmm. sorry, but an elite gymnast, and learn from it and apply it to their lives today?
2: Yeah, um, you know, I think the best thing that they could take away is You know, the goal isn't to suffer through something to just reach an end goal. The goal is to appreciate that process, whether it's a hard time or an easy time, whatever or however you perceive it. Appreciate the fact that it's hard and appreciate the fact that you're overcoming these obstacles every single day because every day and every morning you wake up, you're becoming a better, stronger person. And that's the reward. And in the end of the day, when you get that end goal, whatever it is, you you know, you open a successful business, you know, you're a millionaire, whatever it is, you're going to look back and really appreciate the fact that you were able to overcome these obstacles that you once thought were impossible. And when you tell that story, that's the part of the story you're going to be enthusiastic about and it's not going to be the result. So appreciate what you do every single day, set small goals, and celebrate those small victories.
1: That's awesome, Brandon. Well, I think that's the best way that we could possibly wrap up right there. And uh, boom. And we appreciate your time. Um, super lucky to have you on
2: thank you for having me that was fun
0: all right conquerors that's the end of episode 37 if you like that episode check us out on facebook twitter instagram social media we're all over the place guys share it with your friends also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor check out that podcast app you're listening to us on and go ahead and click that subscribe button Again, it really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout-out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you.
1: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital. Business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org.
0: Our final shout out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, and they have a patented drop and go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right conquerors. That's the end of episode 37. We'll talk to you next week. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what?
1: Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost.